I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the College Football Survivor Show. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Doug Maurice, Shahan Jeharaja. We're going to do over-unders. We've had this on the docket for a while. All the books have their numbers out. Win totals for college football teams. We're going to discuss them, but there's also a sports culture discussion, Shahan, that I I think we will have a good time discussing that we're going to save for the end. And I'll tease it there. It's based on something happening in sports. And I'm trying to, I think we can apply it, try to apply it to college football. But as we we went through and said, hey, one of the over-unders that we really like. And one of the things that happened to me, Shahan, is I cannot believe Utah's early season schedule. I cannot believe that Utah opens with Florida and Baylor. What gumption by the Utes. Because I was looking at Utah's win total, and it's eight and a half. And I was like, man, I think some people think Utah still might win the Pac-12. Eight and a half. And then I went to their non-conference schedule, and I was like, oh, that. We know they won at – no, they – yeah, they lost at Florida last year, and it kind of screwed them up. They get Florida at home, but now they're at Baylor. I don't know that anyone thinks Florida is going to be great with Graham Mertz at quarterback instead of – assuming it's Graham Mertz instead of Anthony Richardson – but still, like that's one of these things, Shahan. This the over unders, the win totals make you go into the schedule without it being a schedule podcast. But I don't think I realized what Utah is doing to open the season. So tip of the cap to the Utes, but that's why their totals eight and a half. No, and and that's a big component of things. Actually, this is a fun discussion in general about Pac twelve over unders. Is that the Pac-12 found a way for every one of their top teams to play each other, which for us is great. I mean, I love that. That That's going to be tons of fun to watch. But Utah plays at Oregon State, at USC, versus Oregon, at Washington. And basically every one of those other teams gets each other, too. It's crazy. I've never seen a schedule that so overtly screws the top teams in a conference. And now, if a team comes out of that then fantastic. They are a surefire playoff team. Personally, I don't think that coming out of that is the issue. I think that coming out of that with only one loss is going to be the issue and probably going to make things kind of difficult for the Pac-12. But yeah, versus Florida at Baylor, they get like a one-week thing against Weber State, and then they're right into it with UCLA and at Oregon State. It is pretty crazy what Utah is doing from the start. And you look across at Washington, at USC, at Oregon State, all of them are kind of going through the same thing. I think if you want to bet a total for a Pac-12 team, you just have to decide who you're rolling with. Right. And you think this this team, this is the one that's going to emerge because I think if you try to bet multiple of them, you're just going to wind up with a bunch of it's the last week of the season, and I'm, you know, you're going to guarantee. Well, this team, I bet both these teams, one of them's going to lose, and that means someone's going to go under, and you're just going to wind up 
splitting your bets and paying the juice on all of them. And so, and I think that's what we're all going to do when we get closer to the season. We're going to all divide ourselves up to, are you a USC guy this year? Are you an Oregon guy? Are you a Utah guy? Are you a Washington guy? Are you maybe an, an Oregon State guy? Because I, I, awesome. Thank you. As you said, thank you to the Pac-12 for providing us these great games. But in the year before we get to the 12-team playoff, I don't know that it's the best strategy. But also, if you, if they kind of went out of the way, it was like, wow, USC and Washington and Utah, and they all play each other. But man, Oregon doesn't play anybody. It's like, well, it's like almost like the Pac-12 would have picked its team. All right, we're we're clearing the path for somebody, and you couldn't do that, so you're letting them all fight it out. But this is a consideration as conferences expand. This is something in the Big 12 that we now have to factor in for the first time when we're looking at total Shahan, that you're just not automatically playing everybody. And there were some teams I looked at with some Big 12 totals that were like, okay, well, this number on the surface seems high, seems low to me. And then you dig in and it's like, oh, this Big 12 team isn't playing some other top teams. This Big 12 team is playing some other top teams, whereas before in the full round robin in a 10-team league, we never had to worry about that. No, and and frankly, by the way, as somebody who obviously has been around the league for 10 years at this point, it sucks. I loved being able to go into a year and be like, if you are good, you have to prove it. I mean, look at Oklahoma's schedule this year. Oklahoma doesn't have to play Kansas State. They don't have to play Baylor. Like, it's it's crazy how soft the schedule is because we are not used to a team being able to have a soft schedule and dodge the top teams and miss the top teams. When playing in the Big 12, Texas also has a relatively light schedule, all things considered. So it, it's a huge consideration because, again, uh, you know, I think I think uh, Oklahoma's number is at nine. And on face value, I hate that. I don't think that they are a nine to ten win quality team. I just don't think they're really all that close to it. But when you start looking at the schedule, you know, in non-conference, they get Arkansas State, SMU, and at Tulsa. SMU is going to be a fun game. I don't think SMU can actually beat Oklahoma, though. And then you go into the season, and it's Cincinnati. I think Iowa State maybe can be good, but they get them at home. It's UCF. Like they, I, I think that they get what three of the new additions to the Big Twelve this year too, who are going to be in a transitioning state. It, it's kind of crazy how much, uh, especially in this kind of year, scheduling could really make all the difference for Oklahoma hitting that number. The discussion about who is going to be good what your record is going to be and who's going to make the playoff are three different discussions. So we are having a discussion about now what's your record going to be. And again, we're all going to have to keep that in mind and we will for the 12 team playoff. But what's going to happen is there are going to be teams in the 12 team playoff who might be a nine or a 10 seed because they had a more difficult schedule and maybe they took a couple more losses, but now they're going to get in and have a chance. And I do think seeding, especially in a world where, the conference champs, again, this doesn't happen until 24, and the 12-team playoff are going to get the top four seeds automatically. We would have looked at last year and said, okay, well, Clemson's a, a conference champ, and Kansas State's a conference champ, and Utah's a conference champ, and they get those top four seeds. But are there some really good teams, like better teams? And there might be people who are offended. There could be betting lines in the playoff where a lower-seeded team's going to be favored, and people might get offended, but it's it's not the same thing. And college football, the schedules matter so much. So for this discussion, some of my picks, Shahan, are the teams that I've already said multiple times I like. But there's 
There's one in particular, and just I'll start with my over-unders that I like both of them, but I'm immediately like, what am I supposed to do here? And it's Florida State and LSU because they play each other in the non-conference. And so the, if I'm if you want to bet both Florida State and LSU, the book I looked at, the Florida State total is 10. LSU is nine and a half. It's like, okay, well, someone has to lose this game. Now all of a sudden the loser is going to have very little room for error to hit your over. But my instinct on both is to still go over because, for instance, the numbers I looked at, Bama was 10.5 for its total. LSU was 9.5. And And I think, as of right now, I think LSU is a better team than Alabama this year. And Alabama does play Texas in the non-conference, but Florida State's tougher than Texas. So, okay, that's a – there's a – Alabama's win total is one win higher than LSU. But if you throw a Florida State loss at LSU, now you're kind of, now they're equal. And now all of a sudden, you're asking LSU to sort of, okay, make sure you, if you lose to Florida State, you've got to win the Bama game almost. Otherwise, you're out of room. So it makes me reluctant, but I think I still want to take both the overs on Florida State over 10 and LSU over nine and a half, still leaning Shahan on how good I think they are. So LSU, you know, outside of Florida State, not a whole lot in the non-conference slate. In the crossover games, they get versus Florida. They get uh, at Missouri. Those are both very winnable games with the the state of both those programs right now. So I think that they could even withstand a loss to Florida State and still hit 10. Um, you, You know, it probably would be potentially a loss on the road at Alabama. And look, beating Nick Saban two years in a row is a tough task. But I don't see the team that they should lose to outside of those two. And now, granted, last year, that team became Texas A&M for some reason. But even when you look at those road games at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State, I don't think either of those teams are very scary this year, just personally. Uh, at Alabama, you know, that's that's one that we talked about as a loss. And is that their whole – and then at Missouri, that's their whole road schedule. That is – man, they are playing a lot of games at home in neutral sites this this upcoming year, which obviously helps them out a lot. So – I think that that's a good bet. I think that uh, that even if they were to lose the Florida State game, which I probably would lean towards if I had to pick right this second, I think they're still in good shape. And like you said, I mean, I'll, I'll refer to one of mine. You know, let's let's not get off this discussion right away. You know, Alabama at ten and a half—that's a number that I'm really looking at that under. I, I think that absolutely is a team that I'm considering the under. Which taking an under on a Nick Saban Alabama team is just so dumb historically just so ridiculously dumb but I kind of felt the same way uh you know last year I kind of felt like last year like hey I don't know about this I don't know whether this is quite what we've come to expect like you said they get Texas at home I think that Texas legitimately will have a chance to make a statement in that game especially since you're talking about a a, an Alabama quarterback going up against their first real competition uh you know Jill Miller obviously played some games last year but but you know what I mean and yeah, I mean, they go at Kentucky in the non-conference slate. They play Tennessee every single year, and Tennessee could be pretty good. They do play LSU. I, I just can't sit here and say that I think it's very likely that they can just go through and only lose one game. So I, I think the LSU at at 9.5 is a good pick. Florida State, again, so if they lose to LSU, they go at Clemson. That's a dangerous game to me. So It is. I, I feel better about the LSU than the Florida State. But like I said, I also think that Florida State might be better than LSU. And if they win that game, 
even if they lose to Clemson, they're going to probably be in the ACC title game. They're probably going to win 11 games. So I, I like, again, when, when we're doing these, right, these are regular season win totals. So it's based on a 12-game regular season schedule. That's what we're talking about with the win total set at 9.5, 10.5. I like discussing these three teams together because LSU plays both of them. And so to have an Alabama-LSU-Florida State discussion, Florida State, LSU-Clemson, those are the two losable games. You lose both of those, now you're pushing at 10. The book I have has them at 10 at a minus 105. So it's about, you know, it's it's decent odds at minus 105. Some of these others are minus 120, a very different situation where you just have to, you know, bet more money to win money. But I, I think... If I'm thinking in my head right now, I'm thinking Florida State wins the Florida State LSU game. Not a guarantee, but that's how I'm thinking. And then, all right, now Florida State has some wiggle room. Are they going to lose two more to get to the push? I still feel good about Florida State. And then Bama, the hard thing about the Bama schedule when you're trying to look at them as, as a potential under First of all, is Nick Saban will. Why would you do that to him? Why would he's going to, he's coming for you, Shahan? Why would you do that? You look at what the Tennessee game turned into, for, turned into last year for Alabama. Just an like an unbelievable environment that Bama gets in that situation, and you've got to go try to win at Tennessee. The Alabama road games, like the conference road games, Mississippi State, Texas A and M, Kentucky, and Auburn. It I, like all their toughest games, LSU. Tennessee, Texas are all at home. Certainly, you never know. You can they could lose to Auburn. Auburn's showed up in that rivalry, but Auburn's also going to have a first-year head coach. One who's beat them. That's true. I think, and this becomes a discussion right with George as well. I think based on who we believe Alabama to be right now. They feel like a 10 and 2 team to them, to me. I don't know if they're actually going to lose two games, though, because to me, if you're going to lose two, you're going to end up losing two of three at home to LSU, Tennessee, and Texas. And then you hear yourself say that, and it feels like, how likely can that be? So, this is one of those where the talent, the quarterback situations, the new coordinators, all that makes me feel like. This is more a 10 and 2 team than 11 and 1 or 12 and 12 and 0 team. But I still don't know logistically exactly where I would put my money to get to those two losses. Well, I, I think to me, you know, again, that LSU game is going to be really tough. I think that LSU might be a better team than them. I think Texas, you know, we're going to, in the next couple of months, enter this world where I'm actually going to be saying Texas better win 10 games this year and better win the Big 12. Like, obviously, I'm going to, I'm still going to get my jabs in, but seriously, Texas should win 10 games this year. It, it would kind of be inexplicable if they didn't. And I think then you're talking about them splitting maybe the Auburn and Tennessee games. You know, I, I think that, I think Auburn from a talent perspective, from a an explosiveness perspective, right? They had Caleb Burton, the transfer from from Ohio State at wide receiver. I I remember watching that kid in high school. He's an outstanding player. Peyton Thorne coming in from Michigan State, I think is a flawed player, but lots of passing upside still. So like I I think that they have enough this time to actually be able to like pull an upset there. And I think that Hugh Freeze knows better than anybody how important it is to pull an upset against Alabama. So, like, 
I, I get it. The other part of this, too, is Alabama has existed. And, and actually, I think Georgia is a good example. Georgia exists existentially in a place right now where nobody except the most elite teams can like legitimately beat them. Like it's not even a real conversation. Obviously they had that weird game last year against Missouri, but other than that, they've just been killers against anybody who's not incredible. And I, I kind of wonder this year, it's a tough question. I, I mean, <laughs> it could leave me looking stupid. Is Alabama in that untouchable tier this year with what they lost. Now they're going to be better, right? Like they're going to be, I don't think that Kentucky can beat them. For example, I, I don't think Mississippi state can beat them for example. And so, like you said, probably going to have to to bet on them losing a couple games at home, but I don't know if they are in this untouchable tier that Ole Miss can't beat them, that Auburn can't beat them, that Texas A&M can't beat them. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I mean, they are the only team in the country that I can tell entered a quarterback battle this spring camp and left with more options than they had when they entered. Like, it is, it is not good. It, it's not good right now at quarterback, and they're replacing the Heisman winner. So I'm, I'm very concerned about that. I just want to make sure, in a world where Alabama manages to win two of three at home, against LSU, Texas, and Tennessee. And 10-1 and Alabama is going to Auburn on the last weekend of the regular season. And you, Shahan, are sitting there with your under 10.5 ticket on the tide. <laughs> and you're like, hey, man, I'm rolling with Peyton Thorne. I'm good. Come on, Hugh Freeze. I got Hugh and Peyton on my side. Let's cash this ticket. You feel good about that? Not good. <laughs> Not good. But, like, you know who nearly beat Alabama two years ago? A much better Alabama team than this? Brian Harson. Like, Brian Harson nearly beat Alabama two years ago. And they were a much worse team at the time with just, I mean, they've had such horrendous quarterback play over the last two years. So to, to bring in a Peyton Thorne, I think, matters. Bringing some of the receivers that they've brought in matters. They added nine offensive linemen this offseason. Like, I, I don't think Auburn's going to be great, but I think that they are going to reach the point of being good enough to actually compete with Alabama next year. And if you're good enough to compete, things happen in that rivalry and it's on the road. So am I am I guaranteeing that that Alabama will definitely lose multiple games and we won't be sitting here at the end of the year with them at 11 to one? No, I mean, I, I can't do that. But I do think that they are not as untouchable as they've been in years past. And they've got enough games to me that because uh, again Texas Ole Miss at Texas A&M I think's a, a weird game Tennessee LSU Auburn that's six games that could be competitive and and you're asking me to find two out of those six I, I think that's something I can do okay all right well so we'll start off with an over on Florida State's ten win total from me an over on LSU at nine and a half for me that it sounds like Shahan also kind of likes is that correct Yes, yes. And then an under on ten and a half Bama from Shahan, not from Doug, from Shahan, <laughs> riding with Peyton Thorne. When we come back, we'll get into some more over-unders next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Shahad, line up another one. What you got for us? So I am going to take us to the Big 12. And I, I think that the team that I probably feel most intrigued by because, you know, you look back since 2017, every single year, there's been a new participant in the Big 12 title game. Last year, it was, uh, you know, uh, Kansas State hadn't made a Big 12 title game since they brought it back in 2017. Uh, before that, it was Oklahoma State, before that, et cetera, et cetera. I think that stretch is going to continue this year. I'm looking real hard at that Texas Tech seven and a half number. Ooh. I think so. They play Oregon in week two, and that sucks. I think that's a loss. But you look into the schedule, they do get Texas, they do get Kansas State, they do go at Baylor, they do go versus TCU. But I think they can beat the rest of that schedule. I I think that the fact that they get Kansas State at home is really nice. Uh, They get TCU at home in a rebuilding spot. They've actually played pretty well against TCU in recent years. This was a team that that won eight games without really changing much of the roster. And they and they started three different quarterbacks last year because of injuries. So you're talking about a team that already got to seven in the regular season last year with a first year coaching staff, a first year head coach, kind of a mess of a roster, a mess of a quarterback situation. And maybe the upside isn't there for them to truly get to 10 and be in the Big 12 title game. I, I don't know at this point. But I think the upside is definitely ahead of seven and a half. Obviously, again, they and even last year when they got to to seven regular season wins, they played a road game at NC State and lost. So like they they already had a a non-conference loss when you're accounting to them getting to seven last year. So even if they lose to Oregon, which, by the way, if they were to beat Oregon, what what an introduction that would be to this season. Oh, yeah. Uh, And they get them in Lubbock. Gosh. What do people, what are people from Eugene, Oregon going to do in Lubbock, Texas? They're going to have no idea what is like, what's you, going on. You got to be there. How far is Lubbock from you? Can you get there for <laughs> that game? It's five hours. It's five hours. Um, so it's, it's doable. It's doable. But, uh, <laughs> and that's, that staff does love me over there and I do love Joey McGuire. Uh, but, but yeah, that, that, that could be potentially a fun one. I mean, I, I just think that the schedule lines up really well for them. And, and I think that they are, they are at a point because they, you know, they lost their first round pick, obviously, Ty- Tyree Wilson, number seven in the NFL draft. But they played their last three games of last season without Tyree Wilson because he was dealing with some injuries. And they beat Oklahoma that way. By the way, te- Texas Tech beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same year for the first time in program history last year. And this is without having an opportunity to bring in, quote unquote, Joey McGuire recruits. This is without an opportunity to really hit the transfer portal. This is without an opportunity to actually put your statement on the program. I, I've said this a lot of times. I said this about Jeff Trailer too at UTSA, but also about Joey McGuire at Texas Tech. There's this idea that these high school coaches are going to come in and what they're going to do is they're going to recruit and they're going to recruit and they're going to recruit. And that's absolutely true. You know, UTSA is recruiting at a, a, at a top end level for a group of five program. But the thing is, they didn't have to wait. 
to actually start winning until they got their players because they're also just good football coaches. And I think that Texas Tech last year, again, it was their most wins since 2013, Cliff Kingsbury's first season at Texas Tech when they won eight games last year. I'm not 100% sure what the upside is. I'm not 100% sure if they have 10 win upside. But I know for sure they've got more than seven and a half. So I'm going with Texas Tech. So let me bring in two Big 12 teams here that I had as maybes on my list because I think we can talk about them together. Sure. And I think potentially both these teams are undervalued because I think these are good coaches, good programs that had bad years last year. And I don't know if you can make a little money off just maybe last year being a one-year dip. One is Baylor Mm -hmm. at a seven and a half team win total. Number 10 in the preseason last year, they wind up six and seven, but that's off a 12 win season the year before. Who's the real Baylor? Who's the real, what's the real Dave Aranda program? And then the other is Iowa State at five and a half. And again, what Matt Campbell has done, Matt Campbell last year, a losing season for the first, had five straight winning seasons, losing season last year at four and eight. You're projecting Iowa State to have a losing record again. All they have to do is go six and six to get you over. And that's what Iowa State, Matt Campbell, Iowa State is. They are that team. They weren't last year. Does that mean it's gone? So when we think about, so Texas Tech, you're trying to get over seven and a half with a little bit of Texas Tech on the way up. I'm thinking about Baylor and Iowa State both hitting dips last year, but really are you getting good value on those win totals at seven and a half and five and a half? And could we go over on all three of these? Again, just like Baylor, Baylor, no Oklahoma, no Oklahoma State, for instance. Again, in this new world where maybe there are some wins to be had, it's not like Cincinnati and Houston and UCF and BYU aren't going to beat anybody. They're good. They're going to win some games. But it is a little bit of a different world. It's a step up in competition for all of them. Can we legitimately like overs for Texas Tech, Baylor, and Iowa State altogether? Sure. So, so uh, let me start with Baylor. So Baylor, obviously, they, they were a team I considered. I think eight is about the right number for them next year. So not not a ton of wiggle room from my perspective. They, I think they do have upside. Certainly, you know, last year was, was just a weird year. Utah in week two, that's a tough game. I think that's probably a loss. Texas in week four, so maybe you're starting two and two and they're losing a bit of confidence. But if you look at the road games at TCU... You know, I don't know that we necessarily know what TC is going to be this upcoming year. At Kansas State, that's probably going to be a tough game. At UCF, I think it's a winnable game. At Cincinnati, is a game they should win. So there's definitely upside here. Uh, and again, you're talking about them only needing to lose fewer than four games. I, I think there's absolutely a chance of that. We talked about Blake Shapin last week, and, and I think sometimes the short-sightedness of quarterback stuff. I think they're going to take a big step forward at, at the quarterback position this year. So... I don't hate it. It's probably one that I'm a little 50-50 on taking. Iowa State is an absolute yes to me. Now, one thing that I will mention is they're dealing with, a, you know, just Iowa State as a program right now is dealing with, obviously, some of the implications from a gambling ring, right? Uh, obviously, the University of Iowa is also dealing with that. I'm hoping that it didn't impact too many key players for them. You, you just don't know with this stuff. But from a pure, a pure football perspective, they lost six of their eight games last season by one score. Six of eight. I mean, if you talk about flipping six games, you know, that's, that's competing for 10 wins. 
one one of their other games was their loss to Oklahoma, where Oklahoma scored a late touchdown. Otherwise, it would have been a one score loss as well. And then they got destroyed by TCU, who went to the college football playoff. So this is a good team. I actually uh, I said it about this Iowa State team when I was talking about Matt Campbell. 2022 was not a disappointing year. This was a rebuilding year for Iowa State. 2021 was a disappointing year for them to have been as good as they were during a nominal four and eight season last year, I think is huge for them. I think that they are absolutely a team poised for an upswing. They also get uh, their road games at Cincinnati, very winnable at BYU. That's going to be an interesting game for sure, but I think is winnable at Oklahoma. I mean, if they could get Oklahoma on the road early in the season while Oklahoma is still figuring itself out, I, I think you feel amazing about that. So yeah, I think that Iowa State is absolutely a very good bet. They They were also on my list from the Big 12. I will say the number's a little tough. The one I'm looking at, they're minus 150 to go over that. So that's the book knowing that that's kind of a a thing you can hit. So again, if you're not a gambling expert, if it's about minus 110 on your line, which is sort of a normal thing, that's basically like if you bet $10, you're going to win about $9. So you would get, you bet $10, you get a total of 19 back. If you're betting something at minus 150, you're only going to win like $6.70. So you're going to bet $10 and get a total of $16.70 back. So on a $10 bet, you're getting $2.30 less at minus 150 than you are at minus 110. So the payoff, that's a big difference in payoff. So you really have to like Iowa State to hit this over five and a half because the book's not paying you as much. They know it's a little iffy. For instance, if you take the under on that, you're getting much better odds. You're going to bet 10 bucks and win like 13. So just keep that in mind. They know, right? Just the way this line is set, that line, again, probably some books have it at six and then the the, the betting numbers are adjusted. So if you're getting it at five and a half, all right, so now they're six and six, you win. You're just not going to win as much. So they know that's that's a that's a little bit of a like we know Iowa State's probably at least a five hundred team. Why not raise the line? Why why not raise the line? Just raise the line. Give me a better payout. By the time you get there, it might get to six. Now all of a sudden, now instead of winning at six and six, hey, you didn't win as much. But now you're not going to win at all. You're going to push. So it might get to six by the time you guys go to Bennett if you're going to. All right, I will say, in the Pac-12, we had that discussion. I think the Pac-12 team I would ride with is Washington. Okay. What I'm seeing is nine at minus 105, so that's good odds. If they're nine and three, a push, can they get to 10 and two? Can they be 10 and two? Michigan State in the non-conference, I think they'll win that. I think they have a chance to start like five and oh. And then as you talked, yes, it gets real. You play on USC, you're playing Utah, you're playing Oregon, you're playing all these good teams. But I think their path is okay. And I still f- believe they will be the best team. The receiver talent, the quarterback talent, Braylon Trice on the defense. I still think there's a lot still coming together at Washington. And 10 and 2 to me is not a spectacular Washington season. No. Because 10 and 2 is not a playoff team. And I think they're a very legitimate playoff contender. So the thing that I like with over unders is. Could you win even if the season isn't great? That it's good. It's good. Nobody would complain. Nobody would would get after Washington. Oh, good. Washington went 10-2. and two. Way to blow it. Nobody would think that. And you still win. So those are the kind of bets that I like. And I think there is absolute – I mean, are they going to go 12-0 and 0 in what we think is a really competitive Pac-12? No. If you think they're a playoff team, they're 12-1, and 1, though. 
They're an 11 1 team that wins the Pac 12 championship. For anybody picking them to make the playoff, that's what you're doing. That's on the table. Sure. So they don't have to be that for you to win here. They can just be good at 10 and 2, you win, and they can be like, okay, it was fine at 9 and 3, and you push. So I like this Washington number minus 105 with the total at 9. What do you think of it? No, I, I think it's a good number. I think that it's a good bet. Uh, you know, earlier on in the season, I had Washington at the time in in my top four because I do think that that upside is there. And, you know, I'm a little all over the place on whether I really feel like they can can get to that playoff realm. But if we're talking about them as a potential 11-win team, being a 10-win team should be no problem, right? And and really even I think that being a 9-win team is – like this team should have a floor at about nine wins like this should be a push at worst if things go the way that they're supposed to like you mentioned at michigan state that's a game that i think they're absolutely going to win uh they get versus oregon so oregon at home utah at home they go to oregon state to usc and so you know i I think you feel okay about that i i think that you know that's that's probably close to what you'd prefer you don't want to have to go to salt lake city you don't want to have to go to eugene um you know the the at usc is probably a tough game that's probably a, de- de- a decisive game when it comes to the the pac-12 odds but i i think you feel okay about it and so i do think that washington's a good bet i think that they're still a team that could make the playoff and again they bring everybody back all right i have one more that i really really like what else do you still have left on the board shahan that you really like well, I I think that one program that I feel like has maybe gotten undervalued in recent years, and I, I don't think people are paying enough attention to what they're doing, is NC State. NC State didn't have a great year last year because, you know, we, we talked about them. They were in our playoff discussion at the beginning of the year. And once Devin Leary got hurt, it was kind of over. Like, he was kind of carrying that whole thing. Well, now they got Brennan Armstrong coming in, the the 2021 passing yards leader nationally, with the offensive coordinator, Robert and I, who helped him get there during his time at Virginia. I think it's just a perfect marriage. They have more receivers coming back than what they did last year when that was kind of an issue for them. They, they turn over some on the defensive side of the ball, but you kind of just trust what they've done there under Dave Doran on the defensive side of the ball. They've put so many players into the NFL and their number right now is six and a half. Six and a half for NC State. That is just a crazy low number to me. Now, they play Notre Dame in the non-conference. That's going to be a loss. But, you know, uh, the other three games are all guaranteed wins, right? So that's three right away. On the road, you're talking at Virginia. That's a bad team. At Duke, that's going to be a good game. At Wake Forest, another team that I think is a little undervalued because they lost Sam Hartman, but it's still a very good team. At Virginia Tech, none of that should scare you. None of that should scare you in terms of like those road environments. These are all very manageable road environments, even if I think, again, Duke potentially could be a better team than them. So obviously at home, you do have to deal with UNC. You have to deal with Miami, whatever they're going to be. You have to deal with Clemson. But it, six and a half just feels like a crazy low number to me. I think this is an above average ACC team. And if things go right, I think they could be a very good ACC team potentially. You also dodge Florida State as well in this schedule, which I think also is a huge deal for their chances as well. So I, I love it. They get both Virginia schools who I think are going to be terrible again next year. Six and a half feels like a crazy low number to me. I like that one. 
I think that's a good pick. There's a team that I feel like you just can't bet it, but also maybe we're overthinking it and it's free money. It might be that. The Georgia number is 11 and a half. <laughs> so you're betting on them to go undefeated in the regular season, which guess what? They have done the last two years. Yeah. So so where so you're it's if we play the game of where's the Georgia lost, you can't find it. And and again, with the number that I'm looking at, it's 11 and a half, and it is much better odds to take the over. If you bet the over a $10 bet, you would win 12. You get $22 back overall. If you take the under, you would win $7. So you get 17 back overall. So the odds are much better for the over. And if you're taking, if you think, I think George is going to lose a regular season game for the first time since November 7th, 2020, was their last regular season game loss that was to Florida in 2020. I think it's going to happen for the first time since then. I don't know where, but you're not getting much of a payoff. And if you just say, oh, the best team in college football with what everybody acknowledges is a really easy schedule. There's no Bama. We don't know how good Tennessee is going to be now that Hendon Hooker and a couple of those receivers are gone. Florida and Billy Napier, they don't feel like they're all the way there yet. And Anthony Richardson's not scaring you off like he might have last year. Like, who's the individual player on Georgia's schedule that you say, I don't know, like that could be a one-man wrecking crew. This is just basically, I'm not sure about the new quarterback coupled with the new coordinator. That's all this is. But you're getting plus odds on Georgia to go undefeated in the regular season, which they have done for the last two years. Wouldn't that be a good bet? Just take it at plus odds over 11 and a half. Um, well, excuse me. Do you know who's going to be playing quarterback for one of those teams? That's right. Almost Alabama beater Haynes King is going to be starting at quarterback for Georgia Tech. (laughs) And uh, is is Georgia ready for the heat? (laughs) I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the last weekend of the regular season with your under bets on Bama and Georgia. You're going to be a Haynes King flag in one hand and a Peyton Thorn in the other. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, again, I've talked a lot about these road games because I think that that's where you're really in trouble. At Auburn, look, I've made the Auburn case for Alabama. That case is not the same for Georgia because Georgia can just sit on them. And there's nothing that Auburn can do about it. I don't think Alabama can do that. Georgia definitely can. At Vanderbilt, you know what? Maybe they stay out too late on Broadway the night before the okay. game. Who knows? We are officially at the what if Vanderbilt beats Georgia kind of part <laughs> yeah, of the conversation. Maybe, maybe we end up in a in a hangover situation where Carson Beck is on the the roof of the is the Biltmore. Is that the one in Nashville? I don't even remember at this point. I've literally been. I don't remember. Uh, at Tennessee, that's that's like the only real game on their schedule and like you said transition year people are really talking up joe milton right now and that is their right as americans to say things that they want at any time uh and that's all i'll say about that and then georgia tech you know it's it's obviously going to be a tough game having to go to atlanta where where you know the the tough confines of Atlanta, Georgia, where, you know, hopefully the University of Georgia can find some some fans and momentum. Who knows? You know, we'll, we'll see how they, they handle that. Yeah, like 
it's a good bet. It is a good bet to bet them to go 12 and 0 because this is by far the easiest schedule that they've played during their three year run. The Auburn game at the moment is an 18 and a half point line where I'm looking, <laughs> right? I mean, we're just trying. Uh, I don't know. I guess maybe that could be a thing. And that's, again, we're tr- that's one of their tougher games. And it's an 18 and a half point line. I'm not all the, the Georgia Tech? Where's the, yeah, where's the Georgia Tech game? Come yeah, on. I don't think that one's out yet. I don't think they've set that 39 point line yet. They're going to hold off. The Florida game is a 21 and a half point line that Georgia's favored by. Th- this might be one of those. I don't. You might just want to take the money here. Georgia Old Miss is yeah. a 19 and a half point line. <laughs> just you could just bet a couple bucks and just not think about it. Yeah. And then my gosh, if Georgia gets upset, Georgia gets upset. You're really now the thing right what will be holding you back is the Missouri game from last year where Stetson Bennett had to save them and then you think well, what if they don't have a quarterback offensive coordinator combo that can save them when it gets hairy. And then the the loss that you don't see coming, right? So that's that's what I think you do here. I don't think it's not about Hugh Freeze and Peyton Thorne. It's not about Georgia Tech and, and Haynes King. It's not about any opponent. It's the thing that you don't see coming. And if you have any doubts about the quarterback, does that mean when it goes a little sideways, you don't have someone to pull you out? That's where you – but I don't know. Or you could win $12 on your $10 bet, cash that $22 ticket, ticket and be like, hey, you're a football genius. What happens? Like, I don't know. I just picked Georgia to not lose again. And they didn't play anybody, and they were favored by three touchdowns in every game. So I think that's reasonable. This one I like even more. It's in the same realm. I think it's the exact same bet as Georgia with one difference, and it's the Michigan bet, which is it's 10.5 instead of 11.5 because you know Michigan's going to play Ohio State, and those are two what I believe to be top five teams. So Georgia doesn't have that game, but now Georgia's out of wiggle room. Michigan has the Ohio State game at home, so the line's 10.5 instead of 11.5 because you say, okay, I'm going to bet it. They lose to Ohio State. Would they be 11-0 going into Ohio State? Or they at least, I mean, I think it's at, what's the, uh, Michigan I know is favored in that game right now. So that they have probably like a 58% chance to win that game. And now you're getting wiggle room to lose to Penn State or some game you don't see coming. It's minus 120, which is okay juice. I, I like Michigan at 10 and a half. And my version of that would be, I think they're 11 and 0 going into the Ohio state game. Cause I think Penn state's really good. I think they're more like a year away. We know their non-conference is pretty non-competitive. Their crossovers in the West, they don't play Wisconsin or whatever. Like I just think the path to 11 and 0 for Michigan. And then you win before the Ohio state game is very, very reasonable, which is why this is the one that I said, I really like. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good bet. Like you said, kind of a, Joke of a non-conference schedule. Total joke of a non-conference schedule. Thankfully, that ends next year. I believe that they, I believe they actually start playing Texas next year in a two-game series. So, like, this this is about to be over. This is because they canceled that UCLA series uh, because I guess UCLA had other plans to play Michigan at a different time. But I think that uh, I think that you're absolutely right. I right now would take Michigan to lose the Ohio State game as I would have the year a a year ago and also the year before so like but but you know even if you're accounting for that like you said it's basically a one game season against penn state if they beat penn state this number's a stone cold lock nobody else is coming close to them it's like what i was talking about with georgia where they're just in a different plane of existence 
than anybody but Ohio State and Penn State in the Big Ten right now. I think they're even everybody in the Big Ten West. They're in a different plane of existence. I don't even think those games should be competitive. So I do think that Michigan at 10.5 is a great number, even if they lose that game to Ohio State, which is by no means <laughs> no means a guarantee. I think that they are still in really good shape to cover that number. All right, so that's kind of it for me. I... I eyeballed a couple other potential overs on teams that I think might be underrated based off last year, but none that I love. Did you have anything else? Well, we've done all these overs. We haven't taken any unders at this point, I don't think. I'm so optimistic and just full of hope <laughs> and pixie dust in the offseason that I actually only wait. Can I took Alabama. Overs. I took Alabama under. That's the oh, one under. That's right. Yeah. Nick remembers. Nick yes. remembers. Nick so remembers. you want to hammer some unders here. Yes. All right. Find some unders. All right. Well, you know, now that I've doubted Nick Saban, I'm going to also additionally doubt another one of my favorite coaches. God bless the Nebraska Cornhuskers. But have you watched the first seasons that he had at Temple and Baylor? Like Matt Rule tears this thing to the ground. And I don't think it's going to quite be like that at Nebraska. One, he didn't have the transfer portal at either of his other two stops. It's not how the process worked at the time. So I think it'll be a little quicker than that. Two, you're at Nebraska. Like this thing is in much better shape than whatever Baylor was back in 2016 and certainly whatever Temple has ever been. (laughs) And so I don't think it's going to be two and 10. I don't think it's going to be that bad by any means, but it's not going to be good. I I don't think it's going to be good right away. I think they're going to play a lot of young guys. I think that they're going to try a lot of things at quarterback. I I don't think it's a coincidence, for example, that Casey Thompson left the program. Matt Rule comes in, and just based on his history, he doesn't show reverence to to older guys. He doesn't just lean on experience. He doesn't just he doesn't even necessarily play quote unquote the best available all the time. He plays somebody who I think does what he needs, does what he wants, um, and, and is somebody who can be a leader in his program, especially in these early seasons. And and that's one reason that that I think that you saw the uh, the Georgia Tech transfer potential takeover at quarterback. So. Looking at their schedule, they get Michigan uh, across the conference. That sucks. They're at Michigan State. I think that that's potentially a loss. The, the non-conference is manageable, but at Colorado, that's going to be Deion Sanders' home opener. That's a kind of tricky game to me. Uh, you know, again, I think Nebraska probably will be better than Colorado, but just the juice for that game could be really off the charts. I think. So it's tricky. I mean, just just looking at things, at Minnesota is a loss, at Colorado is a 50-50 game. NIU, Louisiana Tech should win both those games. First, Michigan's a loss. Uh, so, so you're up to three losses potentially. Illinois on the road is a loss to me. Northwestern's a win. Purdue, I think, could be a loss. Michigan State could be a loss. Maryland could be a loss. Wisconsin could be a loss. Iowa could be a loss. Like, And they're not going to lose all these games, most likely. But they absolutely could. They could lose all of these games. Yeah. And this is a program that hasn't, been to a bowl game since what 2016 i think it is i don't think that they're going to suddenly peak and do something that they haven't done in seven years in their first year under matt rule but i don't even really think that that's matt rule's plan i think it's always good you you take the sure wins and the sure losses and then look at the coin flip games they're going to have to be above 500 in coin flip games to get to their over and are they going to be above 500 in coin flip games in the first year of a head coach when everything is changing even if he's establishing culture Right. You you get yourself where, again, there's not a lot of margin for error there. There's not a lot of sure things. So I actually think this is a good under. And I don't even think you're making Matt real mad. I think it's okay. I I think he gets it. 
First-year head coaches want people to bet unders because they want to lower the expectation level so that everybody can look at four and eight, five and seven Nebraska and be like, man, those guys played hard. Oh, man, you could see something in there rather than being like, well, I thought they were going to have a winning record. It's like, dude, have you watched Nebraska? Did you see everything that they had to re- redo? So I actually, I actually like the the under on first-year coaches, I think, is a smart play. Anything else for you? Yeah, this is a number, and and I'm curious if you have an opinion on this. I'm I'm curious about Illinois. Illinois, their number's at six and a half. That feels kind of low to me. They added a transfer in Luke Altmeyer at quarterback, who I think could be pretty good. You know, Chase Brown is gone, but not to be disrespectful, I kind of feel like it's a system over there. I kind of feel like they're going to replace running backs over there. They bring back two really good defensive tackles. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't feel like there's an obvious six losses on the schedule i mean at kansas i think will actually be a really good game um because i think that kansas is a, is legitimately a pretty good team now but yeah, i don't know i i think that in the big 10 west they have a chance to to once again win seven or eight games so two things there illinois was on my list of of overs to consider i like altmeyer coming in i think brett bielema is a good coach they did have Three guys from their defensive backfield drafted in the first three rounds, yep. led by yep. Devin Witherspoon, who was the number five pick in the draft. Jerzon Newton coming back on the defensive line is a huge guy to have him stay in school. But that, as it turns out, was not just a good secondary, but an excellent secondary. Right. And they lose a 1,500-yard rusher. But I think there's a lot of DNA in there. I think we have to acknowledge how good those defenders were and that Brett Bielema inherited those guys, most of them. And it's like, hey, by the way, Lovey Smith left some, left some talent there. But I think Bielema's on the right path. I think he's building something there. I think the quarterback play might be better. They've done pretty well in the portal. You know, Tommy DeVito, Nettle, Luke Altmaier, I, I think they'll be in good shape. And they didn't lose everything. Right. And there always is opportunity in the Big Ten West that they even last year probably should have been better than they were. They got off to a really good start and they got, they had some really kind of goofy things happen at the end of the year. And I don't, I don't think they've maximized what they can be no, there. No, so the no, idea no. of, if you're getting them at six and a half, like can Illinois go seven and five? I don't think a seven and five year for Illinois would be a roaring success. Sure. I think say, That's fine. But can they go nine and three? Yeah, I, I think they could go nine and three. So I didn't, I didn't go all the way with this one, but it was on my list, and the way you're spelling it out makes me believe that this is a this is a really good one. Yeah, and I'm going to close with one that makes, frankly, no sense whatsoever, and it's it's sure to lose. So, the answer to this question is yes. Am I dumb to be intrigued by Cal's new offensive coaching staff? Like, I think that's very stupid. I think the idea of betting on Cal to do anything, frankly. Just like as it as like an organization, as an institution is probably bad news because they don't even like football. But they they hired a staff that is like so Shahan coded. Uh, Jake Sp- <laughs> Jake Spavadol is their new offensive coordinator, right? Who, who I think is quite good. I don't think he's amazing, but I think he's quite good. Um, they hired Mike Blesch as their offensive line coach, who was at who was the offensive coordinator at North Texas last year and and the year before that. Who I think is really good. I, I think he's really like insightful. Actually, they play on the road at North Texas in their first game of the year, which is kind of fun. 
then they added Tim Plow, who was sort of this up and comer before he tanked at Boise State. And he's only a tight ends coach, but he's also like 35, 36. I think he's going to learn a lot. And they have had such bad offensive coaching the last couple of years <laughs> with Justin Wilcox there. I don't know. I It's probably going to be stupid. Their number's four and a half. There's not a lot of upside because they have like six guaranteed losses on the schedule. So you're really working with like a game, game and a half. But, you know, you're talking about, okay, North Texas, Idaho, Arizona State. I think those are all winnable games. Stanford, winnable game. So it's kind of like, can you beat Washington State? I think they can. You know, can you pull an upset somewhere? Maybe. I don't think UCLA is going to be unbeatable next year, for example. Like, I don't know. This is dumb. There's no, don't bet on this. Please, please don't do this. But this feels, so we are not putting our stakes in the ground quite as much with like, these are what we would bet. But you had a similar conversation last off season when we did a version of this about a team where you were like, you were spelling out why you liked it, but then you were like, I don't know. And it was Kansas and Kansas <laughs> hit their over yeah. in mid October. Yeah. So this is one of those you're spelling out is if it's four and a half, and Cal might get off to a five and two start. And it's like Shahan's a genius. And we're going to listen back to this and be like, well, he actually said at the end, don't bet it. I'm stupid. <laughs> so let's cut that part out and just let it let it stand. I'm, I'm just so intrigued because I, I don't think that the talent is terrible at, at Cal from an offense perspective. Defensively, they've been good for a long time. Like they, they are a known commodity on the defensive side of the ball. They have not had the answers on the offensive side of the ball. They added a quarterback transfer from TCU this past year named Sam Jackson. Uh, he is just like, he's a spark plug. I, I think that he's going to have to grow a little bit as a passer, but he is just like crazy mobile, crazy explosive. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for them. They added Byron Cardwell as well. You know, the, the really good running back from Oregon. And I, I don't know. I just, I just like the staff a little bit. And uh, Again, maybe I'm a year away too. Also, maybe Justin Wilcox gets fired this year, and there's never a year away. But I, I'm intrigued. I, I think that they have the chance to be a little spicy if they can get some some good receiver play out there. So keep an eye on it. Uh, you probably won't be able to keep an eye on it because it's probably going to broadcast completely on the Pac-12 network. But, uh, you know, read some clippings. I don't know. Listen, Justin Wilcox, once upon a time, was one of the hottest young coaches in college football. They were yeah. eight and five in 2019. They're 10 and 18 since then. So what happens then? You're a good defensive coach. The offensive side isn't working. So what do you do? You revamp the staff. You bring in a couple transfers. All of a sudden, you get that side figured out. And again, we're not, you're not asking them to win a bowl game. Just be a little more competitive. So I like you might be in on something here. You, if you're in early. I think this is, is this is your Kansas moment, Shahan. So listen to Shahan here. Get Cal while this number is low. You're getting an over that still is a losing record for a program. And any program that has a little juice and a couple easy wins on the schedule, right? And you're still, you're an under 500 team and you hit the over. I like what Shahan, a lot of what Shahan is selling here. And now I'm glancing at their transfer class. I'm like, oh. I'm kind of intrigued, man. I'm kind of intrigued. They, they're bringing King Joe Rue from, from Purdue, who was a pretty good player for them. They brought in two other quarterbacks in addition to Sam Jackson. Matthew Wyckoff has been a starter for uh, Texas A&M at center. Oh, man. This, 
I, I'm feeling something. I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm I'm feeling something here. And and they're gonna find a way to go two and ten with the schedule and make me look like a total <laughs> idiot. But it, well, because the hard part of it is we talk about how good the Pac-12 is. So there's no easy games in the Pac-12. But again, we're not we're not asking them to be that good in the Pac-12. Right. We're asking them to win like three games in the Pac-12. Yeah, we're asking them for to win three. That that's all we're asking in the Pac-12 because they go at Washington. That's a loss. Oregon State at home is a 75-25 Oregon State at Utah's a loss versus USC's a loss at Oregon's a loss. Uh, so like you're starting with five losses probably and at UCLA's probably a loss, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. So those are our over/unders that we'd like. Not not going all the way with this is for sure slam these bets, but giving you some things to think about here in the offseason. When we come back a culture discussion that I'm going to try to apply to college football and see what Jahab thinks. We'll do that next. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Shahan, so we have to talk about Jimmy Butler. So this (laughs) is what my daughter and I just text about Jimmy Butler all day and all night. I said to my daughter last night, definitely... If and when you ever get your own dog, like it's your dog, and you have to name the dog Jimmy Butler. And it would be like, oh, what's your dog's name? And it'd be like, my dog's name is Jimmy Butler because he is a dog, man. Like it is the ultimate sign of respect. Jimmy Butler, I think I'm, this is my question, Shahan. Can one person be a culture? Because I've heard people sort of have this conversation about Miami Heat culture now. And that this is something that people have talked about with Pat Riley and with Eric Spolstra in Miami. But the reality is, in the five years between LeBron James leaving and Jimmy Butler arriving, this is what the Miami Heat did. Miss the playoffs, win one playoff round. Miss the playoffs, lose in the first round. Miss the playoffs. So... And Pat Riley and Eric Spolster were there the whole time. So when people talk about heat culture and they have a way of doing business and Pat Riley does things, they sucked for five years. And then Jimmy Butler got here. And I think everything the Miami Heat does is Jimmy Butler culture. And there's this conversation about they have seven undrafted guys in, on their bench, all these. It's Jimmy Butler. It is a single person having the highest of standards that he applies to himself and then applying that standard to everybody else around him and everybody else around him living up to that standard, not because of the team, but because of what one player sets down. Caleb Martin, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Bam Adebayo, Kevin Love. This is how I do it, so you better do it. And we saw Jimmy... Didn't really work in Minnesota. Didn't work in in half a year in Philly because he was trying to lay that culture down and the people weren't taking it. It was there. They didn't take it. They rejected it. But the Jimmy Jimmy Butler culture has been a thing for a decade. 
how can we apply this to other sports? And I, I want to apply it to college football, but the difficult thing is you're here and you're gone, obviously. But I wonder, when we talk about Florida culture with Urban Meyer, was it Urban Meyer culture or was it Tim Tebow culture? When we talk about Clemson and Davos one of them Sweeney, wants to take credit for the culture that was going on at Florida in 2007? It's a complicated discussion, I realize. Is it Dabo Sweeney culture or was it Deshaun Watson culture? Which, again, is now a complicated discussion. Can we just talk sports? <laughs> so, like, that is my – do you believe – that a single person can be culture. And I guess in college football, our example of this is Nick Saban. It is, he is one man culture. Now, when you're the head coach, it spreads more easily than when you're a player. But Bama's Bama, yes, but Bama was in trouble before Nick Saban got there. And now Nick Saban does something high standard for himself, high standard for those around him. Do you believe in any sport one person can be a culture? Well, first of all, you're going to have to lock all your doors because you didn't mention Udonis Haslam's name at any point during your Miami Heat discussion. He's going to find a more important player than a guy who hasn't (laughs) taken the court in six years and is still on the roster. He he scored like eight points in a game this year. I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, so I (laughs) um, so here's the thing, right? I think that one person can be a catalyst to a culture. But, and I'll say this about the Miami Heat, I don't think that quote-unquote heat culture left just because they were struggling, but I think what you need to have more than anything else, and I think this is actually transferable to college football, is you have to have alignment. And you hear that word a lot, but it really does mean something. It means that the head coach has his belief of how things are supposed to be, and the players know how to to instigate it per se, right? Like you have Nick Saban. He knows what the expectations are, but Bryce Young is also there. He's also a dog. He also wants to to instill that stuff and they're on the same page and management, which in this case in college football is the athletic department on the same page, boosters on the same page. So I don't think it's about one person. I think that one person can, can pull those factors together, right? Alabama was a mess of an athletic department for 20 years before Nick Saban came and Nick Saban was able to kind of grab them by the scruff of their neck and pull them in alignment. But I think that at any level, one person can be the face of it, but it takes more than that. I think that with the Miami heat, you know, Jimmy Butler is that dude, you know, he's him, whatever you want to call it. Eric Spolcher also might be the number one best coach in basketball right now. Like, like he might be the best coach in basketball. Also you look at management, Pat Riley over the course of 20 years, maybe the best GM in the entire NBA. I, I think it has to permeate different levels. When you have management, coaching, and players on the same level, I think that's when special things happen. And I think that when you look at Alabama, Nick Saban is the catalyst behind it. But if he didn't have an athletic director who he trusted, if he didn't have players who bought into what he was selling, I, I think we're talking about a different thing. One thing I'm going to be really curious about is, for example, Colorado. Colorado is going to be an example of mm. a coach coming in and saying, this is me. I'm the face. You're going to do what I say. You're going to pick up what I'm putting down. But, and I think he does have that buy-in from boosters right now. I think he has that buy-in from administration. 
it's going to be a different situation if they come out and the players don't buy in once they actually have to take the field, right? That's going to be a tough battle. He's going to have those guys, uh, you know, in, in Shadur Sanders at quarterback and Shiloh Sanders, his other son in the secondary. Like he's going to have those guys who are able to kind of set down that culture from their perspective. But how much power does it have on a roster with 70 guys who have never played together? I think that's going to be a really fascinating question. And I think that's actually the biggest question facing Colorado heading into this upcoming season is can Deion Sanders kind of get more than just his sons and find some leaders who are able to kind of pick up what they're putting down. They, they added that. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. I, I think, is it Rashad Weaver, the, the defensive lineman from Michigan who transferred over there? He's a really good player. I think he's been around a winning culture. He's the type of player that I think uh, could be really helpful to, to a program like Colorado, right? Like w- whenever you're talking about people coming in and, and having an op- opportunity to uh to to kind of set that culture from the ground floor but it's a process i don't think it's going to happen very quickly uh, i don't think that one person can do it not just in college football i think also in basketball one person can't just do it it has to do with getting buy-in at different levels i do think if you pulled jimmy butler off the heat next year and you kept Eric Spolstra and you kept Pat Riley and you kept all those good complimentary guys i don't think Caleb Martin and Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and all those guys would be as good and everything else would be in place. And it's not just Jimmy on the court draws attention and open guy opens things up for the guys. I think it's a, it's, it's the attitude. It's the way you go about your business every day. And I do think if you were trying to communicate, I think you bringing up Deion Sanders is, is great here. Yeah. By the way, Taylor Upshaw, that's who I was thinking of the defensive lineman who transferred from Michigan. Okay. If you're if you're trying to explain to people what the Deion Sanders effect might be at Colorado, I love Jimmy Butler as an example. Because and again, Jimmy so so the part of the thing is here, I went through the things, well, you know, Jimmy had a good run in Chicago and then it ran its course and he went to Minnesota and it didn't work and he went to Philly and it didn't work. And I think he was the same guy the whole time. But the organization wasn't did not rally around him. They did, you know, they, the Sixers basically picked Ben Simmons over Jimmy Butler. Like Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, right? The young guys in Minnesota aren't ready to follow Jimmy. And it's like, okay, well, Jimmy's going to be Jimmy. So you didn't have the alignment that Pat Riley and Eric Spolster gave you. But Pat Riley and Eric Spolster were sitting there for five years doing nothing until Jimmy Butler showed up. And it wasn't, it's not just the talent. It's the whatever. It's the Jimminess of the situation. Colorado's been sitting there. And if you're trying to explain what is the effect, what could Deion Sanders do? Man, don't point at a coach. Point at Jimmy. You set a standard. You hold yourself to the standard and you hold everybody else to that standard. I could talk like one man cultures, (laughs) one man cultures, coach, player, GM, right? That you establish something and that if you pulled the one person out of it, it would end. One man cultures in the last 50 years in North American sports. I would, this was, wasn't only a college football show. I would do that because college is just more complicated because sure. it has to be a coach. It does. It has to be a coach, but man, I just, uh, Jimmy Butler is really making me believe in this Shahan. And, and I yield to your point because you have to be able to bring out the best 
when you have somebody like that. But Jimmy Butler is rare, man. And if Deion Sanders can capture and bottle some of that, then I say look out for Colorado. Yeah, so I, I think, and this is not an NBA podcast, so we don't need to get into the the minutia of the Miami Heat over the past decade. I will say, like, the Heat weren't good, but what they were good at is they still continued to get the most out of the guys that they had, right? Hassan Whiteside got a humongous contract in Portland because he was in that culture and they put him in good positions. Uh, you know, Tyler Johnson, do you remember that name? He w- He went to uh, Brooklyn and became nobody. But he was a big time player for Miami back in, in the late 2010s because they just found ways to use him that emphasize the skill set. So I think to me, the biggest thing that Miami does at a high level and, and Jimmy Butler is a huge part of this, especially with this team, but his role definition. I think that nobody understands how to give guys things they can do to succeed better than the Miami Heat. We see it from a physical perspective, from a developmental perspective. And so when you have this situation, or you have the expectations of an organization mixed with a player who's like that. Obviously, in the past, it was Dwayne Wade, who I think had a very similar effect as Jimmy Butler. I think that's when you see magic. That's when you see historic stuff. That's when you see things we've never seen before. But I do think that, you know, I think another good example of this is the San Antonio Spurs. Guess what? They haven't been, quote unquote, good for four years at this point. They're going to get Victor Wembanyama. They're going to, I think, in the next year or two, be that again. They're going to find these guys out of nowhere again because they understand how to get people to sacrifice, how to get people to buy in, how to get people uh, to, to find roles that fit for them. And I think that that is an organizational goal just as much as it is an individual player goal. Wasn't there a thing like a decade ago when Tom Izzo, Michigan State college basketball coach, was listed as a potential candidate for an NFL job? Isn't that right? Wasn't that a thing <laughs> for a that. moment? That, that sounds right, I, though. I think that was. So here's my thing. Or Condoleezza Rice. Whenever he retires, if I am an AD looking for a new college football head coach, I'm hiring Jimmy Butler. I just <laughs> want culture. One-man culture, hire an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator, and then tell everybody in the building – to live up to the Jimmy Butler standard. You laugh. <laughs> you laugh. I do. But I don't know. Let's. I would go, if I could, I would go to the game one preview news conference and I would say, Jimmy, would you ever consider being a college football coach? And then it would be a thing for a day. But I'm not going to go. Okay. Uh, thanks to you guys for listening. That's our Over Under podcast. There's stuff happening at SEC meetings this week that are going to shape a little bit of the future of college football. So I think we're going to play off that later in the week. For now, we wanted to give you a lay of the land on some of the team win totals. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.